the Lecture 12 on Dante's The Divine Comedy 2019. Today we'll focus on Panderers and Seducers, uh, Ditch 1 of the Malabolgia, Flatterers, Ditch 2, Simoniacs, and Future Seers. Just to remind you of the order of things looking at this schematic, that means that we are now in Circle 8, the Circle of Simple Fraud. Remember that the names of each of the 10 ditches in Circle 8, there are 10 ditches, are called Bulgias. They are not called Subcircles. And know that we are going to go into the first four today. Panderers and seducers, flatterers, simoniacs, and um, it says sorcerers here, but they are future seers. People who claim to have the ability to see the future in some way. Alright, so let us begin. This is an image by Gustave DeRay of the punishment of the panders and the seducers. You can see that these are horned and winged demons, very much like your idea of a demon, which is based on the medieval, uh, medieval comic plays, which would feature demons and sinners. Often, they are whipping these sinners mercilessly. This is the punishment of Circle 8, Ditch 1. All right. Let's enter with a quote, and then we will get to the informational slides. I'm not the only Bolognese who weeps here. Indeed, this place is so crammed full of us that not so many tongues have learned to say Sipa between the Savina and Reno. Again, this is another place full of uh, Italians and Florentines. If you want faith... In testament of that, just call to mind our avaricious hearts. And as he spoke, a demon cudgeled him with his horsewhip and cried, Be off with you, pimp. There are no women here for you to trick. And then, from the old bridge, we looked down at the ranks of those approaching from the other side. They too were driven onward by the lash. So we've seen panderers, we'll now see a seducer. Here, this is the only canto which has two pockets in it, by the way. And my good master, though I had not asked, urged me, look at that mighty one who comes and does not seem to shed a tear of pain, recalls to us quite a bit Capanius and Farinata, who are both disdainful of their punishments in hell. How he keeps the image of a king is a shade, after all. That shade is Jason, who with heart and head deprived the men of Colchis of their ram. That is Jason of Jason and the Argonauts, the first Greek hero, who alongside Heracles and Peleus and, uh, and also the father of um, Ius the Greater, Telamon, went to Colchis to get the golden, uh, uh, the golden ram, to, uh, the golden fleece, excuse me. He had to get the golden ram that was a flying ram that had golden uh, fleece on it from Colchis. And I'll tell you a little bit about that story soon. And in case we see him here amongst the seducers because of his relationships with uh, both Hypsipyle and Medea. In any case, he made a landfall on the Isle of Limnos, that's where Hephaestus Vulcan is from, after its women, bold and pitiless, had given all their island males to death. Yes, Hypsipyle and her fellow women had killed all the men on that island, except for Hypsipyle had maintained her father. She had kept him from death. With polished words and love signs, he took in Hypsipyle, the girl whose own deception had earlier deceived the other women, that's her hiding her father. Uh, so basically she got it, all the women to kill the men they knew on the island and then didn't kill the man she loved. And so a little bit hypocritical. And he abandoned her, alone and pregnant. Such guilt condemns him to such punishment. And, so that's not the only woman that he leaves uh, with child. And for Medea, too, revenge is taken. With him go those who cheated so. This is enough for you to know of that first valley and of the souls it clamps with its jaws. All right, let's get on to this. So couple facts you need to know about the Malabolge in general, and in particular about this specific ditch. This is the only canto in the Malabolge with two different ditches in it, with two different bulges in it, with two different punishments in it. Uh, as you know, the Malabolge goes from cantos 18 through 30. 
It's, a, it's about a third of the entire text, actually a little bit more. Uh, every other bolja will comprise one or two cantos. Now, remember that the Malabolja is itself ten concentric circles with the well of the ninth circle in the middle. Uh, there will be giants that take, there will be a specific giant, in fact, Antaeus, who will take Dante and Virgil down from circle eight to circle nine to the deepest depths. Now, who is a panderer in this dual circle? Who is a seducer? The panderer is named Venedico Caccianimico. And, well, what makes him a panderer? Well, a panderer is a pimp, somebody who sells off a woman for some sort of uh, a valuable exchange, usually money. And so what he did is he exchanged his sister to this guy named Obizzo, we think, likely to gain money or advancement. Uh, he sent her to Obizzo, we think, thinking she would get married to him, but that was never actually what the understanding was. He straight up sent his sister to gratify the pleasures of this man so that he could receive higher rank or money. And that's why we call him a panderer. And the reason why we use the word panderer is from the Trojan, uh, not hero, but the Trojan warrior named Pandaros. There was a medieval story called Troilus and Cressida, which would later be recounted by both Geoffrey Chaucer as well as William Shakespeare, where Pandarus gets his daughter, uh, uh, I, maybe his niece, um, convinces Cressida to uh, lay with and marry Troilus. And so he panders to her. He brings people together for, uh, 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 to exchange illicit favors for some sort of material or a political gain. In any case, that's what it means to be a panderer. The seducer here is Jason. Jason is uh, part of a long line of Greek heroes to love them and leave them. As you know, Odysseus was well known for doing this with both Circe and Calypso, with whom he left children, according to the myth mythological accounts. Also, um, uh, of course, um, Theseus is known to have done this sort of thing. Uh, and, of course, Heracles. Heracles left children wherever he went. In fact, his children have a categorical name themselves. They are called the Heracleans, letting you know that he was very much a love and leave them sort of individual. So Jason uh, plays out this archetype. It's not an appropriate archetype at this point. Um, so he seduced Hypsipyle, as I told you about on Limnos. He also seduced Medea. A couple things about the seduction of Medea. He got her to betray her father, and then when he was fleeing away from her father, um, King Aetes, uh, she dismembered her brother, the son of her father, and threw pieces of him into the water so that he would have to stop and pick them up to bury them so that she could escape with Jason. Jason then left her after she had two children with him, and she, being sort of a witch, then killed both of those children. It is a very ugly story uh, where nobody seems to come out well. And so the idea seems to be, be a seducer, things go out, go poorly. In any case, remember that the punishment here is that horned demons whip them mercilessly. It is very much a, uh, uh, I would say, an infernal-looking punishment. Let's keep moving. Let's get to the second Bolgia. Now, in the second Bolgia, we meet the flatterers. And there's a reason why I have flatterers represented as brown up there. Because the punishment is nasty. They are immersed totally in feces. That means excrement. That means poo, to put it vulgarly. That means they are immersed in uh, about the foulest substance you can possibly imagine being immersed in. And I mean, we, we have some people that are immersed in some pretty nasty things. Fire, people burning eternally, boiling blood, nasty rubber sticks, 
now also uh, feces. And I think the idea is it's probably human feces because just as they were, uh, we have an expression, full of it during the course of their lives, now are they filling it. The feces that they spoke during the course of their lives, their valueless words, are now what they are living in uh, or existing in for all time. So that which they are full, they were full of, they are now filling, which is, uh, I think, an extra, excellent contrapasso. There are two sinners that we meet here. Alessio in Terminae, we don't really know much about him, but there's a second one named Thais. Thais is a courtesan from the Roman play The Eunuch by Terence. In that play, as you can imagine, a courtesan as a prostitute, she says exactly what it is men want to hear so that they will pay her money. But that means that she's not necessarily telling them the truth. Telling people something they want to hear is very different from telling someone the truth. You could even make the argument, I think, that that's part of the problem with Brunetto Latini saying that you cannot fail to read your glory, reach your glorious harbor. And he looks like a winner. To say something to inflate someone or make them feel good does not always uh, line up with telling somebody the truth, which often means making somebody sort of feel uh, bad for a little while if you're offering necessary criticism. Uh, in any case, the idea here is that she told people what they wanted to hear rather than the truth. And so, as I noted earlier, what I want you to start noting here, especially when we get into the big speeches, Ulysses in particular, Bonifucci, is look for more sophisticated ways of manipulating language down here. Not simply outright lying or excuse making. Apparently language can be a very dangerous thing. That will be a very important message here in the Malabolgia. Look for the maledictions of these people. Alright, let's move on to the Simoniacs. I want you to look at this image because it will help you see what the punishment is. They are stuck upside down in funnel-like pits with their feet sticking out at the calf with their feet on fire. We can't see the feet being on fire. We just know that they're on fire because they're wretchedly swinging about as if they're in tremendous pain. So occasionally you just see their legs and they start kicking in tremendous pain. It would be shocking to see this sort of thing. And, well, here are the Simoniacs. They're lodged upside down in a funnel-like tube with feet on fire. We meet somebody very special here. We meet one of our four popes in the Inferno. He is Pope Nicholas III. He had, and he admits that he was the son of the bear. He was no Orsini. Orsini comes from, uh, it means little bear, from Orsa in Italian, which is, comes from Ursa in Latin, which is why we have as a constellation Ur Ursa Maior, the greater bear, and Ursa Minor, the lesser bear, the big dipper and the little dipper. In any case, he admits to nepotism. What is nepotism? Nepotism is when you favor family members by giving them uh, high-ranking positions, or when you favor your family members, giving them jobs and appointments rather than people who deserve those jobs, who are not necessarily your family members. And so how is that simony? Well, what is simony? Simony is the attempt to buy gifts of the Spirit from the church. It is, it is either to buy um, indulgences from the church, which is uh, to buy favor or pardon from the church, to buy objects from the church, or to try and purchase a position within the church. It is a corrupt use of wealth, and it is based on a character named Simon Magus, who existed at the same time as Simon Peter, the first pope, and he attempted to, uh, he asked the apostles 
if he could buy the ability to lay on hands. So he saw them heal the sick. And he said, hey, can you teach me that trick? I think I'd make a lot of money. And they sort of explained to him, well, actually, we have these natural talents, and we use them in the service of our Lord. Um, it's not really a trick, what we do. And he didn't buy that. And actually, very famously, he then had a magic contest. This is the sort of thing that happens both in the New Testament and Old Testament. If you think of Exodus and the snakes that, uh, that uh, the uh, staffs are turned into amongst Pharaoh and Moses. In any case, he showed that he could fly in front of everybody to show that, well, you don't need to believe in a god in order to be able to fly. You can just be a magician. And so you can see why magicians were so uh, poorly uh, looked upon and still are very poorly looked upon often by the Christian church. In fact, I just heard two weeks ago that uh, Harry Potter was banned in a Catholic school down in Tennessee. And the reason being is it features magic use and sorcery. Uh, the idea being that it, it, it fights against Christianity with that idea, which is interesting. It's an old idea. In any case, Simon Magus flies, and then supposedly Simon Peter makes the sign of the cross, and Simon Magus loses all his power and falls down to the ground. It's sort of like the idea is that the power of the Christians is to wield the truth, whereas the power of a magician is to wield a falsehood. And if you think about what magic truly is these days, it is the art of what? What do magicians say? It is the art of, yes? Illusion. Illusion. Exactly. It's not real. It is how to trick the senses. Well, the big difference between a sorcerer is that they're tricking you by falsifying what they're doing. Well, the difference between that and, say, a pope or a Christian is that they are showing you how miraculous things actually are through the truth. And so that is diametrically opposed to each other. And that is why, contrapositally speaking, um, that these popes are upside down. They had an inverted idea of how things were actually supposed to work. Oh, yes. Do I, I, do I have another slide about this? Let me just... Uh, yeah, good. Um... One thing I just want to mention to you is this. In Pope Boniface III's specific funnel, there are other popes beneath him. When a new pope comes, they push the other popes down. I want you to think about how scary that is. Look at these little holes. What's the, what is the technical term for when you are afraid of enclosed spaces? Makes it very hard to get in elevators? Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. Imagine how claustrophobic that would be to be wedged down there between other people. No room to do anything upside down with your feet on fire. Ah, I just want you to feel it. Does everybody feel it? Kind of, ah, and you just, and you can't even really move. It's, uh, hmm, interesting. The immobility must be significant in some way. We'll have to think about that in seminar on Thursday. Yes? Are the rest of your bodies on fire? Just the feet. Just the feet. They're the most sensitive parts. Uh, it has been suggested by scholars that the fact that their feet on are on fire is supposed to be um, a, a destruction of the idea of the Pentecost. In Pentecost, there were flames that fell on people's heads, and then they understood the truth. Here, there are flames that fall on the feet, and just burn your feet. And so there's, there's an inversion there, too. In any case, uh, that's when the gifts of the Holy Spirit descend. Hmm. All right. This is what Pope Nicholas III has to say. I want you to notice what... Very, very, very strange thing he thinks about Dante. And he cried out, Are you already standing? Already standing there, O Boniface, that's Boniface VIII, the Pope current at the time of 1300, who had declared the Jubilee year. The book has lied to me by several years. He can see the future. Are you so quickly sated with the riches for which you did not fear to take by guile the lovely lady and then violate her? The lovely lady in this case is not fortune, but rather the church. If... 
Boniface has taken the wealth of the church and violated her, he is also a simoniac. He also belongs down, down in hell. But he will not die until the early 1300s, after 1300, when this takes place. And so Pope uh, Nicholas III, and therefore Dante the poet, is, it, is literally saying, what about the Pope who is still living during, during Dante's time? That he will go where after he dies? He will go straight down to hell. That is a deeply heretical e uh, thing for Dante to say. Easily could get him excommunicated, but he doesn't care because uh, Pope Boniface led to his exile, so he uh, already led to him losing almost everything he possibly could. There's also another problem with this. Uh, besides the fact that he is putting a current living Pope down in hell, which is a very dynamic thing for him to do, there's something to be said for whether this allows for freedom of the will. Because if Pope Boniface VIII is already um, uh, by fate fated to go down to hell, why can he not repent and make a choice in order not to end up there? And so that's just a question that we might think about during the seminar. In any case, you shepherds, the evangelists had noticed, this is Dante now chastising Pope Boniface III, when, or excuse me, Pope Nicholas III. You shepherds, the evangelists had noticed when he saw her who sits upon the waters and realized she fornicates with kings, she who was born with seven heads and had the power and support of the ten horns. I'll explain what that beast is as long as virtue was her husband's pleasure. You've made yourselves a god of gold and silver. How are you different from idolaters? Save that you worship one, or that they worship one, and you a hundred. Ah, Constantine, what wickedness was born, and not from your conversion, from the dower that you bestowed upon the first rich father. All right, let's, uh, let's unpack that a little bit. So, as I said earlier, Boniface's death and lodging in hell is prefigured, which is good news, uh, except for those of you who want to have freedom of the will, because potentially that is denied here. There is a suggestion here that Boniface received his papal position by means of deceit, by deception, because the pope before him, Celestine V, only lasted for six months, and then had to abdicate. Uh, Dante lambasts the avarice of the church in the same way that he lambasts the avarice of Florence. Apparently, being greedy is a, a that's being having cupidity from the Latin cupiditas is the term for it is something that leads to the degeneration of all institutions because you then fail to provide for those around you. You seek only for yourself and therefore end up denying yourself because you hurt the system, which helps you. In any case, Pope Peter, who is the first pope. Dante says, required no gold or silver, just gifts of the Spirit, which is interesting that he received, therefore, a golden and silver uh, key. Those keys obviously aren't made of real gold and silver, but of something more valuable than gold and silver, something that can produce gold and silver. Uh, discernment and power is what they're described as. Make sure you are writing all of this. Um, now, what is that beast? with seven heads and ten horns. Well, it comes from the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, sometimes called Apocalypse. There is a dragon that shows up with a woman on it. She is called uh, the harlot, and uh, the, sometimes called the whore of Babylon. And um, so she probably represents some sort of sin. We'll talk about that at some point. And this beast itself is described as a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. That dragon is often seen as a symbol for Rome which itself had ten major kings and many kings more than that, as well as seven major hills. And so Rome, in so long as it was not avaricious, was a good noble place. But after it fell to avarice, 
it uh, degenerated just like the Roman Catholic Church degenerated for Dante, just like the Florentines have degenerated. We will see this image, we will see this beast again represented at the very top of the Purgatorio. Um, and we will see him with a, uh, with a lady, who very much means the same thing as this lady, um, riding on top of him. She will then get beaten by a, by a giant later on, and I will explain what all of that means allegorically. Um, we have also another mention of Constantine. Now, remember, the donation of Constantine in 325 is what Dante thinks led to the corruption of the Christian church. We know now it was a forgery from the 8th century. He did not know that. Uh, something interesting just to explain why Dante, or excuse me, why Constantine converted to Christianity is this. Supposedly he was afflicted with leprosy, terrible, disfiguring disease, uh, also highly contagious. And the Pope of his time came to him and cured him of leprosy. And so because a miracle was directly done to him, that's why he converted and converted his entire uh, empire and then gave away half of his empire to Christianity because he thought that Christians were good because they had done a good turn by him. And yet we say the road to hell is, po is paved with good intentions, as good an intention as that was. By Constantine, it led to the avarice of people within the church because the second an institution becomes wealthy, people who seek wealth enter such institutions. It makes perfect sense. In any case, let's move on to Canto 20, Bolgia 4 out of 10, the future seers. I think this is a horrifying image. And there are several horrifying images of them. You can tell just by looking at it what has happened to the heads of these people. They're like backwards. They have been turned backwards because these are the people that claim they could see forwards in time. And so now forever their heads are turned backwards in a nice contrapasso. And the word contrapasso, though I often uh, translate it literally as suffer the opposite, it, it literally means, um, oh no, what is the exact term? Oh, I was just looking at it just before. It, it, uh, I'll, I'll have to tell you next time just because, oh no, yes, it means retaliation. And um, in fact, you can see in there retaliate, that same word from the lex talionis, the law of an eye for an eye. And so uh, the contrapasso is literally the vengeance of God and a person for what it is they have done, which I just thought was an interesting note. Retaliation, similar to the lex talionis. Hmm. In any case, these future seers, they claimed to see the future, but apparently they couldn't. What is the greatest argument about the fact that they could see the future? Well, they're all in the inferno now, which means, what is it they all should have been able to see? Their own internment in hell for their attempts to see the future. If they couldn't see themselves in hell in the future, then they couldn't actually see the future, because if they could see such a future, they would have had the chance to repent. But since they clearly did not see such a future, they clearly did not see the future in the way that they claimed, which I think is a good argument by Dante. It's a very interesting literary argument. In any case, their heads are twisted towards their rear ends, and their tears fall down their rear ends, like a, like a river down a crack, just to be vulgar. In any case, sinners here are Tiresias, Manto, Amphiaraeus, Michael Scott, Guido Bonatti, Aarons, and Eurypolis. I really only want you to focus on Tiresias and Manto. I'll, I'll mention Amphiaraeus as well. The thing about Tiresias is you know him well. We read two works in which he featured last year, three if you were with me. He figures prominently in... Uh, the plays of Sophocles from the 5th century, or excuse me, the 4th century. Uh, no, the 5th century. Sorry, getting my dates all messed up here. Um, yes, uh, he did write, I, I believe, during the Peloponnesian War at some point. Maybe a little bit before as well. I have to get that down. In any case, 
Tiresias figures prominently in the Antigone by Sophocles, as well as in Oedipus Tyrannus. He's also very much a big figure in the Odyssey last year. We were sent by Circe to meet him in the underworld in Book 11. He had a daughter. His daughter's name was Manto. In fact, uh, we have a term called mantic. A mantic procedure is when you try and predict something sort of by chance. Like, so if you just flip a coin, or if you try and look at tea leaves and understand the future, or if you just open a book to a particular page and that's how you're going to live your day. Uh, some people do that with the Bible. Some people choose names from the Bible in that way for their children. That's called a mantic procedure. In any, way, any case, I mentioned her because she gives her name to Mantua, which is the city Virgil was born in. The idea, therefore, being that prophets come from Mantua. A prophet, potentially like Virgil, who, because of his prophetic seeming, Eclogue 4, some people thought was a Christian prophet before Christianity. Remember, he talks about the coming of a golden age and a golden child about 20 years before the birth of Christ. So Christians reading about him in, from the Middle Ages would probably think he must have had a vision of the future in which he saw Christ. And so, again, very interesting way of reading. And, yes, so that's really all I want you to know from here. I'll just mention that uh, Michael Scott was a famous um, so seer from a little bit before Dante's time, and that Amphiaraeus comes from the Seven Against Thebes. He was one of the Seven Against Thebes, like Campanius and Sinilus. Actually, supposedly, his wife, even though he could see the fact that he was going to die, she was offered a very nice necklace by the, um, by the standing force, and she took that necklace in order to convince him to fight so that he would die. And supposedly he dies by a chasm opening in the earth and him riding his chariot straight into it. Sort of like Hades taking Persephone down to the underworld. Alright, where we're going to start tomorrow. We're going to start with the Malabranche. We're going to see them hooking Barators. We're going to get to see them chase down Dante. We're going to see their deception as well. So, quick recap. What did we talk about today? We made it into the Malabolge. We saw the, that each subcircle is actually called a ditch or a bulge. We saw the first four. The first one in Canto 18 has panderers and seducers. It is the only Canto with two bulges. 19, we saw the Simoniacs, named for Simon Magus, not for Simon Peter. In the fourth, we saw the so-called future seers or sorcerers. You need to focus on Manto and Tiresias. And then tomorrow, we are, excuse me, Thursday, or excuse me, Wednesday, uh, days. We are going to talk about the Barators and the Malabranche.